You are listening to Studying Pixels, a podcast on game studies and video game culture. I'm Stefan Heinrich Simond, a game studies scholar from Germany. I'm Dan Hughes, a Japanese scholar from Texas. And you can find us every Sunday on studyingpixels.com and wherever you get your podcasts. And you know what, Dan? Today, just this morning, before we hit record, I received my PlayStation 5 back. Ah, it's back. It's back. It had been broken for all of you out there who don't know the story. I had a rest mode bug in my PS5 digital edition. So that means often, not all the time, but often when I would send it into rest mode, which is a very helpful function, the PS5 instead would crash and shut off and I would not be able to turn it on with the controller. I instead had to like press the, the button on the console twice and repair the controller and so on. It's very annoying, especially if you're in the situation that you've got like short time slots in which you can play a video game or you're doing something like, I remember back in the day when I did a Returnal run and it was, it was like two hours in. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> at the time, yeah. I know Returnal is fixed and it's got, a, it's got a patch that allows you to save at least one run. But back in the day, that wasn't the case. So you needed to send the console into rest mode and joop, it's all gone. That annoyed me so much. And I tried to reset the console. I was in touch with support and they said like, okay, do these and these steps. Just as a tip out there, first of all, create a backup. Then download the firmware of the PlayStation 5 from the PlayStation website, put it on a USB stick, put that USB stick into the console, and then completely crash the console, completely format it, and then reinstall the firmware. And then it is basically, that's the most the steps you can take or the furthest step you can take in the direction of completely resetting it. And it didn't help. So I was able to send it into Sony and... It was gone for, I think, about two weeks before I now received it back. That's not bad, two weeks. Because I, I remember uh, when the Red Ring of Death happened with mm. the Xbox 360. That was like months at a time, just because it was so widespread, I guess. But two weeks is a long time to be without a PS5, but luckily not too long. <laughs> it's luckily not too long. And you know what the best thing is? I unpacked that box, I opened it up, and it said, product replaced. So they gave me... Wow. A new PlayStation 5, actually. So they couldn't fix it either. I assume so. <laughs> I assume so. I I didn't know what to do either. I didn't know where the bug came from. I spoke to them several times and they were not really familiar with the issue. But I just read online that it, it people on Reddit were saying, like, you should really keep at it if you have that rest mode bug. Because at some point, your warranty is going to expire. And if you then encounter the issue still, then you won't get a replacement. So... That's why I basically followed through with the entire procedure, and I'm very happy about that. So the PS5 is back, and I can finally play video games again. Do you have one on the docket that you're going to start with? I'm going to continue my journey into the underworld, or out of the underworld, actually. Oh, Hades. In Hades, yeah. I really love yeah. Hades. And I'm just like, I don't know, maybe halfway through, I made it once to the final boss and got my butt kicked. <laughs> now, it, you know, it takes a long time to work your way to the point that you can actually escape the underworld in Hades. Yeah. But hey, everyone out there, if you're not currently busy escaping the underworld and you would like to help us making this show, then you can actually do so by getting Studying Pixels Plus, which is our Patreon membership. If you support us for $5 a month, you'll get our sincere gratitude 
a lovely sticker that says I am studying pixels, and a month or monthly plus episodes. This month, we've got an episode for you that's already out in which we talk about 10 tips to nail your next presentation because you really should put that tiny bit of effort into it and improve your presentation game. If you're curious about that, then you can go to studyingpixels.com slash plus to find out more. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Oh. Our main story today is of course, and how else could it be? about what does Microsoft purchasing Activision Blizzard mean for video game culture? Because this is undoubtedly the biggest news of the week, probably the biggest news of the month, and most likely even the biggest news of, well, maybe this year. The year's still young, but... It's going to be hard to top this one. It's going to be hard. This is pretty big news. So big, in fact, that... I don't think we're telling tales out of school. We, we're we basically calling this an emergency podcast. Yes. <laughs> we're saying we must talk about this. We had a different story planned for today. But the thing is, I was scrolling through my Twitter feed casually. I didn't have much time, but I scrolled and I saw um, Microsoft to purchase Activision Blizzard for 68 U- billion US dollars. And I thought like, okay. And then my mind switched into like emergency mode. I was like, what? What? <laughs> this was <laughs> this was completely unexpected and that's really impressive because such a big acquisition is usually rumored in some way. You catch wind of it. Jason Schreier leaks something on Bloomberg, right? <laughs> Things happen. How many people must be involved in organizing such a deal and no one no one talked about it or mentioned it anywhere so that it would leak. This did not happen overnight. It's impossible that this could have happened in a short amount of time. This kind of deal, they would have been in talks for quite quite a long time, months at least. So certainly during all of the controversy going on with Activision Blizzard. So it, it I mean, we we were joking in our predictions episode that, oh, the beginning of the year, nothing really happens. You know, it's kind of quiet. And here we are with the biggest thing happening in quite a long time. Indeed, especially, as you said, because of the misconduct, the allegations of harassment Mm. um, that are currently shaking the entirety of Activision Blizzard, we reported on this as well quite a few times in our side quests, and there's several lawsuits still ongoing. And as I recall, just a few months ago, because we mentioned this on our podcast as well on Studying Pixels, the head of Xbox, Phil Spencer, 
he had seemingly distanced himself from Activision Blizzard, he wrote an internal email to Microsoft or to Xbox Game Studios in which he said that he was, quote, deeply disturbed, end quote, by the allegations against Activision Blizzard CEO Bobby Kotick. And in November 2021, Spencer stated that Microsoft would be, quote, evaluating all aspects of our relationship with Activision Blizzard and making ongoing proactive adjustments, end quote. This was in November 2022, so not even three months ago. And the thing is that at the time when he said that, of evaluating all aspects of the relationship, everyone thought that means they're basically about to cut ties or potentially even limiting their cooperation with Activision Blizzard. Nobody guessed that this would mean we're going to buy them, we're going to gobble them up like no tomorrow. Yeah, nobody thought it would be the exact opposite yes. <laughs> of what we all thought. Yeah, Isn't that impressive? Because um, the thing is just, it, it rarely happens for such a thing to remain secret. And at the time when Phil Spencer gave that statement, that deal must have already been well underway, if not already negotiated. Okay, well, it, it, we can look back at any number of statements and kind of dissect them with a fine-tooth comb, knowing what we do now. But at the time, as you said, it really did seem like Oh, we even said on our show, this is great. We're getting these responses from big companies saying that they absolutely um, are against this kind of behavior and this misconduct. So in a way, I mean, I, I, maybe we could look into this and say, well, it's in, in parentheses, we're, we're distancing ourselves from that behavior and we'll continue to do so once we buy this entire company. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's probably a little bit more complicated than that, which is why we hmm. want to do this episode in particular. We're going to obviously apply our specific lens of studying pixels to this incident because there's a lot of talking and a lot of reporting going on. Uh, we're specifically going to address a couple of questions. We're going to talk about how big is this actually, just to get a vague understanding of what this purchase means. We're going to talk about what this purchase means for Bobby Kotick in the context of the allegations against Activision Blizzard. We're going to talk about what this means for players, uh, Xbox players, but also PlayStation players. And we're going to ultimately talk about it, what it means in the sense of, let's say, the metaverse or plans of the metaverse or whatever kind of big shift is coming our way within video game culture. But before we jump into that, just briefly, only the facts. On January 18th, Microsoft confirmed that it is going to purchase the publisher, I think it's the biggest publisher, the biggest third-party publisher to date, Activision Blizzard, for 68.7 billion US dollars. It is officially confirmed that this will be an all-cash deal. Now, <laughs> I know that when I read this, and I assume, Dan, you probably thought the same yes, thing. You, you assume correctly. Yes. <laughs> yes. When you hear all-cash deal, the first thing I thought... Phil Spencer is going to park a gigantic truck of money on the, on the front yard of Activision Blizzard and going to open a hatch and the money is just going to keep flowing out. All 68.7 billion US dollars. <laughs> this is not actually what this means. I looked it up. An all-cash deal. This means that Microsoft is not going to have to take any kind of credit or loan or receive any kind of support to make that purchase, which is in itself already very indicative of how much money they have. 
They can literally pay this out of their account just like that. <laughs> it honestly does make you think, oh, we, money is just, it's totally meaningless. <laughs> because if that, if, that is, if that is something that they're able to do, the amount of money that they have it's it's incomprehensible. Like it, it almost it's absurd. Yeah. So this is absurd. Is what we're this getting. This is absurd. <laughs> we're talking about sixty-eight point seven billion U.S. dollars. If my washing machine breaks, then that is an existential crisis <laughs> for me. You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, uh, just the last point that just to be very clear about this, this deal is scheduled. This deal is intended. This deal is negotiated but it will only be closed in 2023 because it will have to go through an international government regulatory review first. And what the result of that might be, we're going to talk about in just a moment. But we've already touched upon the subject of how big, that's our first part of this uh, segment, how big is this actually? In comparison to my washing machine breaking, of course, incomprehensibly yeah. big. Realistically, this is this is a we throw the word historical around, but this is historical for a number of reasons that we'll get into. But primarily, I mean, for context, right? The the last record for the largest amount of money spent in an acquisition like this was from Microsoft back in March of 2021 when they purchased Bethesda for 7.5 billion. That was enough to completely take people aback. You bought Bethesda for nearly eight billion dollars. Now. I mean, orders of magnitude, like eight eight times more for Activision Blizzard. This is a really big deal. So if we're, if anybody out there is kind of, you're on you know you're on Twitter and you're saying why is everybody uh, freaking out about this and talking about this? This is a major thing. Yeah, this is. I I really like that you point out that money basically is meaningless because the <laughs> the dimensions in which we are talking are just such a level of abstraction from what what money means in the daily existence of most people that it's yeah. just hard to even comprehend. But I think it's very apt to say that previous record with the Bethesda acquisition at 7.5 $7 billion. Now this one, they could have purchased like eight Bethesdas for that yeah. same kind of amount of money. And if you're not, not that interested in the entire financial perspective, then you might be interested in hearing that Microsoft will soon own games and franchises such as Call of Duty, which, as far as I'm aware, is still the number one best-selling video game franchise in the world. It will own World of Warcraft. It will own Overwatch, Diablo, and yes, even Candy Crush, because something that is easily overlooked is that Activision Blizzard is, of course, a conglomerate already, and they also own King. They're actually called Activision Blizzard King. And King makes Candy Crush. And, and Candy Crush, as I heard, I, I don't remember where I heard or read that line, that Candy Crush is basically, that's a license to print money. If you own Candy yeah. Crush, you have a persistent flow of revenue that must not be underestimated at all. Right. I, we, I think you and I are of the perspective that these big franchises like Call of Duty and World of Warcraft, especially, we look at them and we wonder what is going to become of them. But most people on the planet, I think, have uh, some kind of connection or some family member who has a connection to Candy Crush. So it's as you say, that's the real, th I mean, it's, yeah, it's a money printing machine at this point. Now they have it. Now they have it. And they have purchased 
Activision Blizzard as a very huge company. Activision Blizzard in itself employs nearly 10,000 people. And this acquisition makes Microsoft now the third biggest video game company in the world. The biggest one is Tencent, actually. Tencent from China, which I think holds huge stakes in Epic, right? Tencent basically owns Epic, as far as I'm aware. Um, then number two is Sony, at the moment still. And number three is now Microsoft. And just a little bit of more nitty-gritty data for those that are geeky about this. So Microsoft purchased Activision Blizzard at a price of 95 US dollars per share. That is, interestingly enough, 45% above their market value. Because if we look, if you were to look at the graph of the stock of Activision Blizzard, then you can clearly see uh, how they were doing, well, let's say at first relatively well, beyond like roughly between 70 and 80 dollars per share. Then the allegations came out and the stock price yeah. plummeted. They came out roughly in June, July 2021. Uh, that's when they really went public and made big news. The stock steadily declined. And then roughly around November 2021 was the time when all the lawsuits were properly kicked off and garnered a lot of attention when uh, other video game companies, including Microsoft, as we said, distanced themselves from Activision Blizzard and the stock price really plummeted, touching down to roughly 50, 50 US dollars. And now, if we look at the stock price value in January 2022, we can see that there's one particular day. <laughs> and that's exactly the <laughs> day, of day that was. That's exactly the January 18th, yeah. where the purchase was announced, where the stock price basically shoots up again to roughly 73, 74 US dollars. But at no point had it reached, at no point within that last year, the 95 US dollars per share. So you could say that Microsoft paid a lot more money. That's the, the gist of it paid a lot more money than Activision Blizzard is worth at the moment. That means that behind closed doors, there was a deal, there was an agreement where probably at least Bobby Kotick and Phil Spencer and the CEOs of Microsoft, of course, negotiated and came to the conclusion that for this amount of money, they would be willing to sell their company. And it, it does... Uh... It does bring into question too. I mean, we mentioned this was probably in the works for quite some time. That may have been uh, that may have been a pitched amount that was agreed upon before all of the allegations came out. All of the you know the stocks started to plummet. It, we we can't know this for sure, but it does make you think. It, well, actually, I should say even regardless of that, as you were saying, Stefan, the trends of their stock last year um, at no point was it at ninety five. So that Microsoft was still sort of overpaying, if you want to use that word, for Activision. So they they clearly, this was this was a vision for some time, it seems like. Yeah, they're basically giving Activision Blizzard a 45% tip, so to speak, yeah. for that acquisition. Yeah. yeah, because obviously, while it might not, might not be worth as much right now, who knows what will happen with the prices, with the stock market, once something like Diablo 4 comes out, right? We don't know. Right. Or Diablo Immortal. <laughs> People are going to love that game. <laughs> or the next Call of Duty. But in any case, um, now we should have a proper understanding of how big this is, which is very big, which leads to the next question of what this means for Bobby Kotick and for the allegations against Activision Blizzard, because these were ongoing while this deal was negotiated. 
And these were still peaking by the time that it was announced. So interestingly enough, in our predictions, we did a prediction episode uh, at, the, at the end of 2021, where both of us actually made a prediction saying that Bobby Kotick will most likely step down in 2022. I said it's going to be under the pressure of shareholders. I don't think what, whether you had a reason why he would step down or whether it was just pressure from the public and from the company. I didn't have a reason. I just thought that um, by, June, by June, he was going to, that was going to be his exit. Yeah, but we both kind of got the strong sense that there's so much pressure on Bobby Kotick, on the CEO of Activision Blizzard at the moment that he would most likely step down in 2022. This will most likely not be the case because as announced, Kotick will remain in his position as CEO of Activision Blizzard at least until the deal with Microsoft is closed in 2023. What happens afterwards is a little bit more unclear because at first Microsoft commented that Kotick would then remain in his position, but he would serve under the leadership of Phil Spencer, the CEO of, or the head of Xbox gaming. I think that's what they call themselves, right? Or the head of Xbox. However, right. quote, Sources told the Wall Street Journal that Activision Blizzard and Microsoft had agreed Kotick would depart once the takeover bid was finalized, end quote. Tom Phillips writes um, on his article, Activision Blizzard boss Bobby Kotick expected to leave once Microsoft deals closes. So um, it seems to me at least fairly likely that, of course, it's not communicated in that way publicly at the moment. But that Bobby Kotick basically has, that's maybe it might even be part of the agreement. That's conjecture on my end, but I would say probably yeah. part of the, of the agreement that Bobby Kotick says, I'm going to sell if you give me an extra 40% or an extra 45%. And I'll walk away. And if I can stay in my position until the takeover, and then we can give the reason, like, okay, it's a takeover, we're going to restructure the company, and then I'll just quietly disappear into the background with a, probably a hefty bonus, and then I'm going to be out. Everything we're saying is conjecture. We're just assuming based on what we know and what we think, because who knows what's going on behind closed doors. But I would say that, you know, in other, um, not just video games, but in any acquisition of of one company by another, I would say that the the better negotiated deals usually include the head of the company being acquired, staying on until the transition is complete. Because you have to think from an organizational standpoint, if the deal is announced and then it says, hey, by the way, uh, the guy that's been running the ship is going to be gone tomorrow, all of a sudden that that's a lot of internal strife, right? So even if there hadn't been all of these allegations, I think it'd probably be safe to say that he would have stayed on until everything was tied up neatly. Bobby Kotick, really, for him, this is a very opportune moment to make his out without... Yeah, you're telling without, me. <laughs> without causing much of a ruckus. And... yeah. I think there is just no way that Microsoft could keep Bobby Kotick in his position because he's such bad press. And Microsoft has repeatedly over the last couple of months emphasized the importance of diversity and inclusiveness to them. It would be absolutely ridiculous and a great risk to then keep Bobby Kotick on who might even be uh, convicted in lawsuits uh, for, you know, harassment or misconduct and so on. And or at least intentionally overlooking these things. Yeah, it it seems a way to kind of for everybody to wash their hands and kind of walk away yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Um and that's just how 
these things go. I mean, those, we should say, this isn't, I don't know that anybody thinks this, but this isn't stopping any investigation or any um, look into what's going on with Activision Blizzard, which is a really important piece of this. It's not like that gets swept under the rug because Microsoft bought them. Exactly. The, the inquiries continue. The lawsuits continue just as normal. I would assume that closing the deal by 2023 also has the advantage that by then we will have some clarity on most of these lawsuits. Um, some of them will probably be just settled. Who knows whether we will actually see a trial. But uh, we know also from the ABK, which is Activision Blizzard King Worker Alliance, it is like a union-like organization within Activision Blizzard, that they are not letting up, that they are going to continue their fight against workplace harassment and discrimination. They went to Twitter and they posted the following, quote, The news of Activision's acquisition by Microsoft is surprising, but does not change the goals of the ABA, uh, ABK Workers Alliance. We remain, remain committed to fighting for workplace improvements and the rights of our employees, regardless of who is financially in control of the company. End quote. Bobby Kotick even went out of his way to emphasize that the allegations against Activision Blizzard did not have anything to do with the deal with Microsoft. He argued that the stock price did not necessarily the stock price of Activision Blizzard did not necessarily plummet because of these allegations. He said, quote, I think what affected the stock price more than that is pushing out Overwatch and Diablo. And then I think people started to see that this year's Call of Duty wasn't performing as well. So I think certainly the California Department of Fair Employment and Housing filing and the Wall Street Journal article contributed to that, but stocks go up and down for a variety of reasons. End quote. Yeah, you're not wrong, Bob. <laughs> <But> <laughs> they do go up and down for a variety of reasons. I, I mean, okay, listen, f fair point to Bobby Kotick there, it it could be any number of things, right? And companies don't think about, especially a company like Microsoft, doesn't look at the day-to-day, -day, the month-to-month. -month. They're looking years and years projecting, right? And so, who? I mean, obviously, this is something that they're going to have to overcome. And my, if I can, this won't be an official prediction, but one of the things that maybe we can say is that once this is all done in 2023, I think there's going to be a huge makeover attempt to Activision Blizzard titles by Microsoft. It's going to be quiet for a while, and then there will be a crazy comeback at E3 or, um, you know, PAX or whatever. These these titles are going to be back, and they're going to be rebranded, and that's what they're thinking. They're thinking long-term. They're definitely going to do that, yeah. But I would not want to let Bobby Kotick off the hook too easily, because I think... No. <laughs> I, I think just, like, who are you trying to fool... With such a statement, you know, it's like, it's it's yeah. clear when you look at the when you look at the graph and at the dates, you can see when the allegations were were publicized. <laughs> you can see how the stock price plummeted on that day. That was not because Call of Duty came out three weeks earlier and it didn't perform that well. Of course, the performance of the games plays a role in that, but clearly, I think there's no doubt in my mind that these allegations have like shaken Activision Blizzard to the core. And that does not mean just the CEOs, but that means everyone employed there, and that means the shareholders as well. And 
that is the reason, or one, I would say probably the primary reason, at least one of the main reasons, why Activision Blizzard is in a position that they thought now it's time to sell, now it, and that they're even open to this kind of deal. It, it may have well been the case that this was in the works for some time, and then this all happened, and they said, listen, the, pen, the ink is already drying on the contract. So yes, this is happening, but look, we're already, ha- we're already more than halfway through these negotiations. So it's it's uh, it's all of our problem now, Microsoft. <laughs> I mean, this is the best time to announce such a deal because what else are you going to do? Yeah. These inquiries are going to continue, and at least now there's kind of the pressure on Bobby Kotick will let up a little bit under the circumstances that everyone kind of assumes that he's going to be gone in 2023. Now, what does this all of this mean for players? Because we we spoke about economics, we spoke about the issues of uh, workplace misconduct and harassment, but what does it mean? actually for everyone out there who's playing video games on one or more platforms. This is, of course, excellent news for uh, Game Pass subscribers, because if you're subscribed to the Xbox Game Pass, then this means Activision Blizzard games will now become Xbox first-party titles. And that's why they are expected to be available on launch day with no additional cost. Um, There is even a statement on that by Phil Spencer himself, who says, quote, Upon close, so in 2023, we will offer as many Activision Blizzard games as we can within Xbox Game Pass and PC Game Pass, both new titles and games from Activision Blizzard's incredible catalog, end quote. I think we've we've talked before about how, so uh, we'll get into this, but we've made it very clear that we're both PlayStation fanboys sony ponies sony Mm. sony ponies um but we have conceded that the game pass is a is a by and large more appealing um service than playstation plus often is the catalog that's available on game pass is it's pretty amazing um especially for uh keeping game libraries open and available to people so on that front it, it is i mean it's it's a pretty incredible addition, all of Activision Blizzard's catalog, you know, well, I, I don't know how they're going to do certain games, right? But PC Game Pass, they'll have, I'm sure, the old StarCraft and WarCraft games and all this stuff. So things that people have been mad about Activision Blizzard forever about, not keeping their games readily available, may be resolved by this Game Pass, PC Game Pass acquisition. Yeah, and it also means that if you like Call of Duty... And if you are subscribed to Game Pass, you will never, or at least in the foreseeable future, not have to buy another Call of Duty game because you'll just get it upon release as part of your subscription. And the same goes for such a major release like Diablo 4, which will just be delivered to your Game Pass library at no additional cost. So this is obviously incredibly appealing. And for, as you said, for, for me at least as a, as a Sony pony, it's kind of painful it's kind of painful. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not like a huge Activision Blizzard fan. I know that there are people who definitely are not necessarily of the company, but of the games that they made or are still making. I know there are a lot of people who play Call of Duty out there. It must not be underestimated. I also enjoyed my share of Diablo. Um, but the thing is, now this obviously means that Sony will be in a perilous position. Uh, the S- Sony stock... At the same time that this deal was announced, the Sony stock took a dive, a nosedive, 
by 20 billion US dollars just after this takeover was announced. So there's a direct impact where shareholders realize, oh, wow, Sony just like really took a hit in the face. Yeah. And I, I mean, again, money seems very meaningless when we're talking about billions and billions of dollars. But uh, I don't, I think that was maybe the least surprising aspect of this news to me. Because once the details of all of this back catalog being available on Game Pass, and as you said, future games being available to download, uh, I mean, I, I wonder what Sony's response will be. We know Nintendo doesn't respond to things like this. Nintendo stays the course. <laughs> they deal with their own thing. Old Uncle Nintendo's got his own plans, right? But Sony, as you said, is in a perilous position now. How are they going to respond to this if they are at all? Yeah. PlayStation Plus is definitely not going to keep up with Game Pass. Not at all. It's not even in the same ballpark anymore. Did this also, Dan, just on a personal level, did this suddenly trigger an itch for you to say, well, maybe I should get an Xbox? <laughs> I think, um, honestly, just in this conversation. Okay. <laughs> because before this, no. Because um, I'm, not, I'm not a huge fan of... Well, I don't even know if I can say that now because they own so many titles. I was going to say I'm not a huge fan of Xbox exclusive titles, but um, there are certain games that have always piqued my interest. And now, I mean, I've I've railed many times about how I I'm very into game history and you know cataloging games, and Xbox seems to be doing that with games that are no longer available through other means. So maybe, maybe I will. I feel the same way. I feel that for a long time, it was an easy argument to make to say, well, uh, PlayStation exclusives are just exquisite and uh, Xbox, frankly, barely Better. has anything. Yeah. And, and now we are in a situation that we can say, even if we look beyond something like Forza and Halo, which both, both games are not really up my street necessarily, but now we look at things such as, you know, Hellblade, that was very painful for me when that was, when Ninja Theory Looked was quiet then uh, now it's such things like Bethesda games. It's The Elder Scrolls, which is a series that I personally love since I've been a kid. And now uh, such things like Diablo. Of course, Doom, Wolfenstein, all of these things as well. So mm, I think it's getting really difficult. I'm not going to get an Xbox just yet. That's just my personal statement because I have just too many games to play and there are a lot of amazing games on the PlayStation. I think that's that's my personal dilemma is that I have such a back catalog of PlayStation games I want to get to that I'm happy to know that this library is going to exist through Game Pass. But I yeah, it, it's getting more tempting all the time, I suppose. It's getting more tempting. They're getting very attractive and very aggressive. And at the same time, obviously, this raises the question, will all of these titles actually be Xbox exclusives? Because we've seen various different kind of behavior from the side of Xbox in recent years. We've seen that Xbox or Microsoft acquired Minecraft, which it kept available and actually distributed even further on other platforms, on non-Microsoft platforms. On the other hand, we've seen that with Bethesda, and this is probably the more comparable example, they've kept the deals that were already in place, and they even published Sony-exclusive games such as Deathloop, right? <laughs> Right, right. Which is made by a studio that they now own, but that was a deal that was made before they took over the company. But afterwards now, that's a different story. Afterwards now, with when it comes to new deals, 
then I think Microsoft has very little interest in making something like the Elder Scrolls available on uh, PlayStation consoles. And I assume a similar thing is going to apply here. There's a little bit of corporate speech in order to, uh, to dig through, but there are two statements that we got on this front. Phil Spencer said, quote, I'll just say to players out there who are playing Activision Blizzard games on Sony's platform, it is not our intent to pull communities away from that platform, and we remained committed to that. End quote. And further, he went on Twitter and said, quote, had good calls this week with leaders at PlayStation. I confirmed our intent to honor all existing agreements upon acquisition of Activision Blizzard and our desire to keep Call of Duty on PlayStation. Sony is an important part of our industry and we value our relationship. End quote. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. This is... Mm. I think... <laughs> I, yeah, I think... Uh, I think it's safe to say that at least what will happen is, well, as you said, contracts will be honored until, until there is a breaking point, at which point I fully anticipate that these titles are going to be Xbox exclusive or PC exclusive, right? I think that that, I mean, we have to, again, think about the, the long-term plan here. And I think that it's okay. As you said, rightly, Stefan, PlayStation has incredible exclusives. They have games that I think are a draw to the console. Um, your God of War, your Final Fantasy VII remake, although that's changing too, but regardless, there's games that draw people to the PlayStation. Microsoft may be in a position, and we've talked about this before, where they're saying, we don't have those exclusive draws, so we're going to buy all the other titles. <laughs> that seems to be what's happening. Yeah, we're going to buy them up. And the thing is, you do not spend that amount of money to then sell these games on a competitor's no. console. The thing is, I could easily... Of course, they're not going to take the games away from another platform. They're not going to say, oh, you're playing Overwatch 2 on or, or Overwatch on, on PlayStation? Well, we're going to take it out of the store next week. That's not what, what they're going to do at all. I also think they're going to honor these standing agreements. But when it comes to publishing the next uh, Diablo 4, next wave. for example, yeah, then they're going to... I could imagine that they say, well, we're going to go um, console exclusive for um, the Xbox and then do it just in the same way as Sony does it. Because Sony does that too with God of War, with Horizon Zero Dawn, uh, and with Final Fantasy VII Remake now, of saying, well, maybe we'll see three or four years down the line um, whether we'll make it available on PlayStation. We can negotiate then, you know, for the time being, this is, this is our thing, you know? <laughs> it's a brave new world, but I do think that it would be... And I don't mean to be um, derisive or anything, but I do think it would be foolish to think that they're going to just honor these agreements in perpetuity. That's not happening here. Yes. <laughs> there's and, no way. And there's, yeah. there's nothing that differentiates them from Sony in that way because Sony does exactly no. that as well. They purchase studios and they say, well, Spider-Man, you know, Insomniac Games, Spider-Man. Well, you know, if you want to play that, you got to come to our console. And Microsoft is in that sense playing the same game. What we must consider is that if we look into the future when it comes to what this means for players, then Microsoft might very well continue its streak of purchasing more uh, publishers and game development studios. Because the thing is, 
I saw like a pretty nice overview that Geoff Keighley, the host of the um, annual uh, Video Game Awards, had tweeted. Because we have to keep in, in, in mind what this means. The acquisition of Activision Blizzard was for $68.7 billion. 68.7. Now, the next biggest publisher is EA, Electronic Arts, and that one would clock in at $38 billion. That's not even half that. Then it goes a lot smaller, like publishers like Take-Two, Bandai Namco, Ubisoft. Um, we go into like the domain of like single-digit billions here, <laughs> right? Buying Square Enix, which is one of the strongest assets of, of Sony, would be 5.6 billion US dollars. Not that I think that it's likely that Square Enix would sell to Microsoft, that they would make a deal. Um, but hey, you never know. These studios and these publishers that we consider to be major AAA publishers must be, from the viewpoint of Microsoft, basically peanuts. Basically something that they could acquire if the opportunity arose. Well, $68.7 in cash, they didn't need a loan. They didn't need to take credit. So five point six billion for Square Enix. Yeah, it's peanuts. It's nothing. They already proved that with Bethesda. I I do wonder if um, this will. Here's here's another prediction for you. Um, <laughs> wow. I I wonder if this will trigger in Sony uh, a drive to buy um, something like a Square Enix or a Capcom or a Konami and just get that get that totally subsumed under the Sony label so that exclusives can come, come out on Sony's platform. I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing that in retaliation to this. That might be a possibility. I think they're probably going to do two things. They're going to hold on to the studios that they have right now because oh, if yeah. it's then announced, <laughs> well, okay, now we're going to, you know, we're going to take over Insomniac Games or something like that. Not that that is likely to happen. I don't think that will happen at all. But they're going to try their best to hold on to the studios that they have and they're going to come up with some kind of Game Pass competitor, and I'm very curious how that will look. Yes, that'll be the big linchpin, I think, how that goes. Now, a question that repeatedly arose um, throughout this week in the debate was whether this isn't a problem, this acquisition, because of potentially uh, uh, potentially turning into a monopoly. Does Microsoft, is Microsoft yes. threatened to basically go into the position of having a monopoly on the market? This is something that I... I was immediately curious about because for, um, I think the only thing comparable to this that's happened in recent memory is all of Disney's acquisitions of, um, things like Fox and Pixar and, you know, all these other companies. And that raised the question of, well, isn't that, is that not a monopoly if you own a, a majority share of the entertainment industry? Right. And I don't know enough about, about copyright or monopoly law to say which direction that's heading in. But I did see this was something that I was thinking about is wouldn't this, now that you you own so many titles, is that verging into this territory? And evidently the short answer is no. Um, and these are, uh, I just have some quotes from a Kotaku article that we'll link that kind of goes over this in more detail. But a monopoly is, uh, in economics, a monopoly occurs when a single entity, be it a person, company, or government, establishes complete control over the supply of a product or service. In order for you to have a monopoly on pies, for example, you would have to be the only person in the market creating and selling pies. So the reason that this doesn't fall into that definition is that this acquisition of an Activision Blizzard or a Bethesda, a publisher, is considered to be a vertical integration. 
So it's not like Microsoft is taking away the right for other people to produce and make video games. They're just selling it under their brand. So it seems at first like it's verging into, well, doesn't Microsoft own everything now? And there's not quite. They're, they're selling these products under their label, but it's not like they're they're not removing the capability for Sony to produce PlayStations and make video games, basically, is the is my understanding of this. So it feels like it, but it's not, apparently. Yeah, this is it's the pie example, I think, works very well, because when I learned about these differentiations, it was also, I think, on the example of pies. <laughs> it's such a delicious example. And the thing is that you have to distinguish between vertical and horizontal integration. Horizontal integration would be if I were a pie company, Stefan's Delicious Pies, and I would then buy Dan's Delicious Pies, I would buy that company, then we would both be the same, doing the same thing in the market, and that's why it's a form of horizontal integration. Whereas vertical integration is if I am a pie company, I'm Stefan's Delicious Pie Company, and I'm purchasing a company that produces flour, for example, flour that I'm going to then use for the pies. And in the same way, it works here that Microsoft is not the one that makes these games. Microsoft didn't buy another Microsoft. Microsoft didn't buy Sony, <laughs> for example. Yeah. That's not the case. Right, right. But they purchased a publisher who then, again, owns, you know, developers and so on, developing studios who make these games. That's why it's a vertical integration, and that's why I think it's most likely the case. And they're going to have this checked internally already, but it's most likely that this acquisition will pass the review uh, by, you know, the international... How was it called again? I said it at the beginning. Um, I forgot. Oh, the, the government review yeah, that we were talking yeah, about. Yeah, the government review, yeah. uh, the international government regulatory review that just looks into whether there's a potential of a cartel or something emerging... But it doesn't seem to be at all <laughs> right. likely. Which leaves us with the last point. What is the ultimate plan? What are you gearing at, basically? And the thing is, throughout the entirety of communication around this acquisition, the term metaverse repeatedly occurred. I found an article posted by Microsoft itself in this, like, announcing the entire acquisition and where they say, quote, Gaming is the most dynamic and exciting category in entertainment across all platforms today and will play a key role in the development of metaverse platforms, said Satya Nadella, chairman and CEO of Microsoft. End quote. And in an interview with Dean Takahashi from VentureBeat.com, Bobby Kotick spoke also about the reasons of why they why he would do this deal with Microsoft and he said, quote, "As you look at the increased competition between Tencent and NetEase and Sony, and now you have Google and Amazon and Apple and Facebook and Microsoft and Netflix. We were looking at over the course of the next couple of years and starting to realize that we need thousands of people to be able to execute against our production plans." We need them in disciplines like AI and machine learning, or in data analytics, or in purpose-built cloud and cybersecurity, and that we just don't have. And that competition for that talent is expensive and really hard to come by, end quote. So it seems like what Bobby Kotick and Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft, and Phil Spencer 
are hinting at is that there is, quote, something, some kind of bigger thing that we could do together, end quote. <laughs> Where it's, uh, tune in next week for uh, the announcement that Ready Player One is real. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that we're all going to be living in the oasis. I think this is definitely... Uh, inter- it's not probably not going to be something like Ready Player One, but in in light of these debates revolving around digital ownership, NFT, blockchain technology, um, virtual reality, these kinds of things, they are all happening at the same time. Huge developments in these directions. And it just makes me think, what if, hypothetically speaking, Microsoft were to invest all of this money, tremendous amount of money, to introduce the world to the first metaverse in which you have like one platform that unifies various different games in which you have a consistent ownership of virtual items in which you can engage with virtual reality and so on and so forth in which you have one character that represents literally your virtual self that is your persistent avatar moving across all of these different worlds and engaging with these different games i think it is at least a possibility that they are going in this direction. I mean, it seems to be in line with their their vision for the Xbox One, where, it, it, you know, the nascent stages of this were the reason they called it the One is because it was everything in this console. It was entertainment, it was video games, it was, you know, online purchases, all this stuff. So now that we're in this position where, as you say, all of these dif- these different seemingly disparate elements of virtual life are coming together, they may be trying to capitalize on that. And this is just a step on or a step in the direction of getting all of these things together so that the mosaic can be pieced together when they have all the uh, necessary pieces, I guess. Yeah, I think so. I I think that the competition with Sony is just a more minor step along the way uh, towards something that is a little bit bigger than that. I could imagine that now that Sony is in a weaker position, that we see players moving from Sony's platform to the Xbox. We might not be among them because they haven't bought Final Fantasy yet. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Until that day comes. Until that day comes. But who knows? Who knows? But they own a lot of very, very important franchises now. They have a lot of important first-party games. And they've got a very attractive offer with Game Pass. People are going to leave PlayStation's platform steadily and going to be like, oh, okay, maybe not intend- not wanting to at first, but then the new Call of Duty comes out and the new Diablo comes out and you realize, oh man, I could have all of these games for the same amount that I'm paying for PlayStation Plus, you know, <laughs> and where I get like years old games every couple of months. And I think too, it, it's not, not to cut you off, but it's not um, a minor thing either. Uh, something like World of Warcraft, which has been, I think, most World of Warcraft players would say on the decline for a long time, this might be what brings that back. And then that becomes competition with Final Fantasy XIV, which continues. And then all, you know, all of these, again, these elements of being online and bringing everything into one platform just slowly merge together. There's a lot of, yeah, you can kind of see through the mist at all these different pieces that are coming. It is a cascade of things. And I think that ultimately part of the plan is... And this is, again, conjecture by me, but I have think, been thinking about this for quite a while now, that Xbox wants the Game Pass to be on Sony's PlayStation. 
Interesting. <laughs> the thing is, think about it. At first, it seems absurd, mm. but imagine the following. Xbox has gobbled up so many studios and franchises. Sony has not really a good response, at least so far, to that. So Xbox says at some point, well, you know, Sony, um, your PlayStation consoles are kind of on the, I mean, not only, not that anyone can buy them at all, but <laughs> they're on the decline a little <laughs> bit. And, you know, people are coming to us now that we've owned, we own Call of Duty and such things um, and the Elder Scrolls. Uh, but there's a simple solution that we could offer you. If you offer Game Pass on your platform, we maybe give you a little bit of money in addition, you know? And then they have access to the player base, a huge player base on PlayStation consoles that can then subscribe to Game Pass at a price for which they would just say, oh man, this is this is amazing. And suddenly you play Xbox games on PlayStation. This is, I know this is a wild conjecture. I know it's not very credible to, to just throw this out there, but I think this is ultimately the plan to navigate PlayStation into a corner where they would feel very compelled to agree to offer Game Pass on uh, the PlayStation 5. I don't think that's crazy. Because Thank you. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, you're very welcome. I don't think that's crazy. I think that's actually pretty likely. Um, and for a number of reasons. One, this is a tangible reason, and then I have a fanciful one. So the first, the tangible reason is that um, products like, you, you can get Netflix on PlayStation, right? And so they have presumably some deal with PlayStation saying, for the amount of traffic that you send to Netflix, the amount of subscriptions that are activated maybe on a PlayStation, we give you X amount of dollars, whatever it is, right? However they set that up. That, if if Microsoft starts branding Game Pass as more of a streaming platform for video games, a download platform that could be on any console, um, that's, uh, I mean, I, I don't think that's uh, beyond the pale at all. The second thing that stuck out in my head as you were going through that was, I can't remember if it was um, Corey Barlog or another God of War dev, but I saw on Twitter somebody involved with God of War. God of War was on the P it came out on the PC, and somebody posted a picture of them playing it with an Xbox One controller. And this dev said, "I think that's great," and that just sticks out in my head of like, ah, oh, the, the the wheels are already turning. I'm not saying that's a conspiracy. I'm just saying the wheels are already turning for, it doesn't matter what you play it on. I just want you to play my game, yeah. you know? Yeah, I think that is the important point. Like we're not trying to develop any kind of odd conspiracy theories, but no, no. just from the developments of the market, I think Sony is in a position where they have to respond. They have to do something. Their stock value dropped by 20 a billion US dollars, which is a whole lot of money that they basically just, that basically, as you said, money is meaningless. That money just evaporated overnight, just like that, because because another company announced something. That money's just gone. And, and the thing is, they don't have an answer, at least so far, they have not presented us with an answer to Xbox Game Pass. And if they do not come up with one, if they fail to do that, if they play still the, let's say, relatively safe or conventional even I would say somewhat conservative game of producing high quality first party games and then selling them to people for 70 to 80 US dollars, then they are in a position that Microsoft will eventually get in touch and say, hey, we have this awesome service. People will still buy your consoles and can still play on your consoles and play your exclusives. But the amazing thing is they can also play ours. You know, isn't that awesome? Let's make that deal. I think that it's just a matter of time until that happens. And uh, 
yeah, but the good thing about this would be then I can still continue. I don't have to think about getting a, a Microsoft console. An Xbox. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I don't like their interface. I don't like that Microsoft no. interface. These weird tiles. I don't even like that on Windows. Come on. <laughs> I know. It's it's enough to drive me away entirely. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a whole long conversation about a very big news story that we wanted to address in adequate detail. And I hope we have succeeded to do so. Uh, Please, everyone out there, Lee, let us know your opinions, your predictions of what might happen and where this might eventually lead and uh, whether you're going to engage with that metaverse that we just <laughs> that we just made up. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm reminded of wise words from Jim Carrey when it comes to the metaverse. Don't grade it in the grinder. Don't do it, bite. <laughs> <laughs> okay, in the meantime, Dan and me, we're going to go ahead. We've got some more NFT stuff and so on to talk about in our side quests, so stay tuned. As you know, in our side quests, we talk about all kinds of interesting things that happened throughout the internet throughout the last week, and video games that we've played as well. Although, as you know from this episode already, I haven't had the chance to play any video games because my PS4 was in repair. <laughs> Anyhow, but... Probably a good time for it. A lot going on in the news. There's a lot of time, a lot of time that we invested in researching our main story and also our side quests. The number one of which is yes, the Game Developers Conference has released the results of the 10th annual State of the Game Industry Survey. Yes, I was just re <laughs> reading directly from their article there. But anyone loves a good survey. Yeah, is this one that you're familiar with? I don't know that I've if I've seen it, I don't recall it. But is this something that you've seen before? I am. I always tend to, well, this there are also a couple of other industry, industry reports that are quite interesting, but those reports mm. are always quite neat to look through, to skim read, to take write down a few interesting points of data that you might reference in the future. So yeah, those are always, always rather interesting. And the GDC report always uh, is published, I think, one month before the next GDC happens, which should be in, it should be in March this year when the next GDC happens. So it kind of is like a gearing you up for the next GDC. Yeah. Well, and it's I think it's a good um it's a good checkpoint for everybody too because a lot of times when we're scrolling through Twitter or we're on Facebook or just looking at articles that pop up on Google or something, we get maybe a a skewed view of what might be really going on. So it's always nice to ground yourself with a survey. Um and this survey in particular looked at a number of questions about the industry as a whole um in 2021 and sort of looking ahead to 2022. Um, some of the, the topics that they go over here are really the ones that we've talked about at length, the big ones on everyone's mind. Um, that includes, you know, toxic workplaces at Activision Blizzard, how people are reacting to that, um, how the pandemic has affected uh, closures and, and how production cycles have been affected by that as well. Um, and perhaps most interestingly, just because we uh, continue to come back to this topic, because it seems like we're still um, infinitely trying to understand it, uh, how NFTs, the blockchain and cryptocurrency are going to be implemented or not implemented uh, going forward by these companies. Oh, if I may say something briefly on the matter of NFTs, because this is Please. something that always always pops up on a show on a show and for a good reason because it always pops up in video game discourse these days i struggled 
understanding what NFTs are. And I know that you've given a wonderful explanation already in a previous episode where we spoke about Pixelcoon and how you could take a screenshot of Pixelcoon and how you could make that an NFT. I always felt, and I'm not sure whether this resonates with our audience out there, like I'm missing the point somehow. There's something about NFTs that I am not fully understanding until this week where I actually encountered some NFTs, which will be the second side quest that we're going to go in in mm -hmm. a moment. And then once I've actually seen what an NFT can be and how it's handled, I realized it's actually quite simple. It's If you don't go very deep in this understanding of blockchain stuff and so on, then an NFT on the surface right. is a very simple kind of thing that seems much more complicated than it actually is, I feel. I think I think that's right. I think it's always couched in the uh, blockchain cryptocurrency discussion, which is a morass every time you try to talk about it. And so I think that, I, I would agree. I think NFTs are probably the most graspable portion of these virtual currencies or uh, assets that everybody's talking about. But I will say, I don't think that we're alone in our kind of, apprehension or confusion by these things because um i'll just i'll just read this here um a sort of summary from the from the survey so two of the hottest and polarizing topics being debated in the game industry are cryptocurrency and non-fungible tokens or nfts while the majority of developers said that they and their studio are not interested in cryptocurrency that's 72 percent as a payment tool or in NFTs, 70% not interested. For such a nascent space, 27% of developers are at least somewhat interested in cryptocurrency at their studio, and 28% are at least somewhat interested in NFTs. Mm. So I think, I don't know about you, Stefan, but that strikes me as um, we're answer, I, I, I wonder if that 70% is there because the answer is, because it is in such nascent stages of this thing and everybody's kind of experimenting with it, uh, we're not going to put our foot in the water until we know what our stance on it is. Mm. That's how it kind of reads to me. That would be a possibility, but I also think that indeed for the perspective of a game developer or a developer studio, mm. NFTs and cryptocurrency might just not be all that interesting. The thing is mm. that if you think about, I mean, cryptocurrency as a payment tool, that does not really concern you that much as a video game developer, whether people pay through PayPal or Bitcoin or whatever. You know, it's okay either way, I guess. Uh, it's like not something that specifically concerns the way you design your game. And NFTs, let's say in a hypothetical scenario where it would be possible that you play a game and you purchase a fire sword... <laughs> as an NFT, and that is your own fire sword then, that's a unique item assigned to you, and you can use it in that game. And maybe then you can play another game, maybe by the same developer studio, and you can bring that fire sword with you, just hypothetically speaking. Yeah. This is still not the case anywhere, but just hypothetically speaking, you could do that with NFTs. It's not spectacular either, because as a developer studio, you still you already have the possibility of having, let's say, either you have a persistent server, such as in an MMO, where you have all this kind of inventory stuff that's basically just a database. And we've already we already have functions like you can carry over save states or equipment or items from one one series entry to another. I don't think NFTs from a developer's perspective open up that many possibilities. It's more 
on the minds of people who make money by marketing video games and so on, rather than developers themselves. I think that's true, especially since, um, because this is our Activision Blizzard update episode anyway, um, I know from playing World of Warcraft, even in the past couple of years, that they've gotten to the point where not only are there items that are specific to your character that can't be traded or um, manipulated beyond your own character, but they actually evolve that into account-specific items. So this idea kind of already exists, as you said, in MMOs. And so I think you're right. From a developer's standpoint, they've kind of already trod this territory. It just comes down to the people who um, maybe push things like the CSGO skins, yeah. <laughs> where it's like, okay, this is where the money is. is uh, And maybe NFTs are... Uh, uh, exciting to those kinds of people because then it's like, well, only you have this skin or only you have this uh, color of gun or whatever it is. Yeah, that that might be a thing why some developers might be at least somewhat interested in it because there is potential there that might be used in interesting ways, but they are not really fathomable at the moment. And yeah. most of the debate revolving around NFTs is like really about making money from selling customizable items and, you know, connected to this entire thing about randomized items. I'm not sure whether this is something that changes profoundly the way that game developers approach their game design. So that's why I think it might not be all too interesting to them. Yeah, I think that's right. But, you know, this is, uh, we're, we're in kind of brand new territory with it still, I think. Um, and there seems to be a cycle for a lot of things these days where something will come out, it's a joke, people mock it for a long time, and then companies come in and say, well, wait a minute, we can actually monetize yeah. this. <laughs> and, you know, I, I think that, you know, they're always a couple of years behind on the trend. And so I wouldn't be surprised if the 2023 GDC surveys has, shows us very different numbers, if that question is asked yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, other, the other things that are going into this survey, um, which are worth talking about, are the uh, reaction to the Activision Blizzard situations. Um, these are rather short summaries. I feel like it's worth just reading. Um, we can, we're going to link the full survey in the show notes. Um, but in terms of the Activision Blizzard situation, almost 40% of respondents said their companies have reached out in an effort to combat toxicity in the workplace following outcries at Activision Blizzard and other companies. At the time the survey was conducted, 38% of respondents said that their companies reached out to them to start a conversation about how misconduct and toxicity are handled in the industry. 62% said their companies did nothing. That's a little disappointing, <laughs> 62%. But I do think that if in the interest of charitability, maybe this is a similar situation where, I mean, I, I would say 40% is much better than 4%. I know that that's being relative, but it is nice that this is at least happening. <laughs> I, would, I would hope that more conversations would be happening and maybe that we'll see that this year. But it's hard to say. It also really depends on how the survey was designed because I could in this yeah, incident imagine that maybe part of these 60% who say they did nothing basically are on the standpoint like we're already working on these things unrelated to the Activision Blizzard allegations and that's why we don't change anything specifically because we already have that in mind. Anyway, um, 
of course, I'm not suggesting that having it in mind anyway excuses you from having making any further efforts. But I think that might just in a self-assessment lead to you saying, I'm not doing anything specifically relating to this Activision Blizzard issue. That's true. It might have been too specific and not just about toxicity in general, right? <laughs> so that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I mean, I would say that I hope that that conversation is not going away anytime soon. It doesn't seem like it's going to, as we've said before. Indeed. Yep. Now, another um, interesting thing, because the pandemic is still very much on our minds, um, I mentioned that there was conversation about closures amid the pandemic and how that is uh, how that has been handled by different companies. So in response to that question, studios stave off closures amid the pandemic. The game industry has stayed resilient despite the ongoing pandemic. 50% of respondents said that their company expanded their number of staff during the past year. 13% of respondents said their company contracted during the past year compared to 33% that stayed the same. Only 2% of respondents said that their studio closed entirely. These figures are similar to the previous year, signifying the pandemic and shift to remote work did not have a lasting impact on the workforce. And I think that isn't too surprising to me. Uh, we've talked about before the push to work from home. And I, it strikes me that the games industry is one that's not, that wouldn't have necessarily been affected by office closures uh, for too long anyway. Yeah. It seems like there was a lot of pre-existing infrastructure for people to work from home and get things done. And it seems like they've just adapted pretty well to that. I think so too. I think as long as video game studios were willing to go with the flow and they were not unfortunately hit by this thing, maybe in a very critical state of the production of their video games, we've seen a whole lot of delays and such things. So that definitely they did take a hit. Many video game studios did take a hit at some point, but at least when it comes to working from home, I think there's a whole lot of flexibility that the industry has shown. Even studios such as, or publishers such as Square Enix, who in the mm. context of Japanese working work ethics were quite opposed to home office for a long time, are starting to change their ways a little bit and allowing their employees a bit more flexibility. So I think that's actually a very, very positive news. I think so. It's You bring up an interesting thought too about the Japanese uh, Japanese game developers and the the work ethic. I wonder if that. I wonder <laughs> that may be a topic for another episode. I wonder how that's been going. <laughs> but at any rate, <laughs> um, the uh, the last one that I wanted to really bring up because there's a lot of really great information from this. Um, but in keeping with our Activision Blizzard discussion, the topic of unions. So uh, union hopes grow. Almost one-fourth have already talked about unionizing. 55% of respondents said that workers in the game industry should unionize, which is the highest amount yet in the 10 years of the State of the Game Industry survey. But 18% believe that the industry will unionize. While only a minority may believe the industry will unionize, almost one-fourth of respondents, 23%, said that the conversations about unionizing have happened at their workplace. So... We, we've talked before um, a few episodes ago about the first game uh, game studio union in North America, Activision Blizzard King. Um, as we read earlier in this episode, they're still pushing for their efforts to have a better workplace. So it does seem like, along with perhaps the toxicity conversation, that 
this conversation of workers' rights for game developers is slowly creeping up. I think that's pretty, uh, pretty uplifting. I think so too. I said this before, and I gladly say it again, that we have kind of in the recent years opened the black box of video game development, as in we gain an understanding of what it means to work at a video game studio. We know the problems that are going on. We know of allegations of misconduct, of harassment, but we also know of just simply the peril of working overtime, of crunch, the big crunch debate that happened a couple of years ago, right? All of this contributed into us gaining an understanding that these video games do not just happen magically out of thin air. And that consciousness, that understanding, that we can't get the lid back on that black box. It will have to happen eventually. And if there's an opportunity ever to unionize, then in my experience, at least, I would say, do it. Always do it. There's <laughs> seldomly, uh, uh, seldomly a, a negative point or some kind of contraindication to why someone should not unionize. So if the opportunity arises, then usually it's most advisable to do so. I would say, too, that I think it's pretty, um, it's encouraging that, you know, in the in the 10 years that they've been running this survey, th- this is far and away the the biggest response that they've got. You know, I think that it's kind of hard to get away from all the news that happened last year. And as you say, you can't put the lid back on it. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. So keep an eye on it, but it seems pretty, seems pretty progressive. Would you like another NFT story? <laughs> I, I suppose this is where we live. So <laughs> <laughs> welcome to 2022, everyone. <laughs> Number two, content creators are having their pictures and YouTube channels stolen and sold as NFTs by Rhiannon Bevan at thegamer.com. Now, first of all, I want to say that this headline is a little bit incorrect, which I always am very (laughs) critical of. The thing is, in the headline, it says YouTube channels were stolen. This is not actually the case. This is not at all about people stealing YouTube channels. This is about people creating NFTs um, and violating and like plagiarizing, basically. So this is what happened. Throughout the last week, uh, several influential gaming personalities reported that NFTs of their likenesses had been popped up on the auction site, the NFT auction site, OpenSea. That's the name of of the website. And these NFTs, they basically are, if you haven't checked those out, they're basically images, screenshots and images that feature the likenesses of the YouTubers and these influences, as well as their usernames and like a YouTube logo below that. Originally, these NFTs were already created in September 2021, but nobody really got wind of it until last week when it was discovered publicly that these NFTs were created by someone with the username StakeTheWeb. (laughs) That is a very iconic username, very befitting for what they did. (laughs) Because... What they did was basically take the likenesses and names and usernames of people such as Jim Stephanie Sterling and Kadikaris, another YouTuber, and Kadikaris. Thank you very much for that correction. And put it as put it up for a sale as an NFT. And needless to say, the affected were not particularly happy. Jim Stephanie Sterling went to Twitter and in their, well, I would say almost famous power of expression stated the following, (laughs) 
quote. This is James Stephanie Sterling tweeting, Frankly not surprised that some freeloading leech turned my channel into an NFT. As gross as it is, I find it justifying. I did not consent to this. I do not want this. And it demonstrates everything I've said about how disrespectful and exploitative this market is. Scum. <laughs> End quote. So I think we were all hearing Jim there. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was just very, it's exactly the verbiage you would hear on the Jimquisition. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now there was also an NFT of Alana Pierce who works as a writer at Santa Monica, Sony Santa Monica, also as a YouTuber and as a podcast host. She's just generally like a very influential figure in the video game industry. And the uh, there was an, ac an account titled Adult Erotic Arts who created an NFT of her with, I'm not going to say any details about it, but it's like her likeness, her an image of her on the magazine of a, like a porn magazine, on the cover of a porn magazine. And uh, Pierce tweeted on this matter, quote, In extremely predictable news, I've just been informed that somebody has taken an image of me that I own, added a trademarked porn logo to it, and, quote, minted it to sell it for profit as an NFT. Naturally, I was not asked for permission. I cannot wait for the lawsuits, end quote. So uh, they pretty got they pretty much got into a lot of heat. The platform OpenSea soon after this reporting occurred, uh, they removed the listings and banned the accounts that offered those listings. I actually checked just to be sure. I went to the platform and I searched for these NFTs, and I was not able to find them. Otherwise, I could. You can basically just this is the thing, right? This is the thing about NFTs. You go to this platform, you you type in a, a, a tag or some kind of word, some kind of keyword, and then you just see a screenshot and you can make an offer on it and obtain that NFT. <clears throat> and the platform OpenSea responded to an inquiry by thegamer.com and said the following, quote, OpenSea supports an open and creative ecosystem in which people have greater freedom and ownership over digital items of all kinds. One of our operating principles is to support creators and their audiences by deterring theft and plagiarism on our platform. To that end, it is against our policy to sell NFTs using plagiarized content, which we regularly enforce in various ways, including delisting and in some instances banning accounts, as was the case in this instance. We are actively expanding our efforts across customer support, trust and safety, and site integrity so we can move faster to protect and empower our community and creators. End quote. I have a few things to say. I have a few thoughts. Um, when, let's say, uh, a baseball player contracted by the Major League Baseball Association has a baseball card printed of him. He has signed a contract saying that his likeness can be used for MLBA uh, merchandise. So I don't want to hear people saying that that picture of Kadikaris or Jim Stephanie Sterling, it's just like a baseball card. It's not, because as Jim Stephanie Sterling so brilliantly put it, no consent was asked, no deal was struck, and I remember, Stefan, we didn't talk about this, but um, did you hear a few months ago there was a similar site 
for Twitch streamers where they were taking um, segments of their Twitch streams, like moments that people knew, you know, maybe like a freak out on a game or a really funny moment or something. And they were taking those few seconds and they were selling those as NFTs without the permission of the Twitch streamer. And there was this whole hubbub that got swept under the rug because they were saying, well, that's my content. You can't just sell that and make money off it. That's something I've created. So I feel it's a very similar situation with this OpenSea platform where they just seem to be taking things that don't belong to them and making money, or in some really disturbing cases, like Alana Pierce's case, um, really uh, going after somebody in a kind of gross way yeah i mean uh enjoy your porn however you like but don't violate <laughs> like don't 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 take pictures of other people violate like the the regulations of like copyright and don't plagiarize and then try and sell that try and sell that for money that is i think it's a very simple thing to to demand and to expect of people however as we know we're on the internet and we know that Right. <laughs> NFTs are happening and they are a thing whether we like to or not and then we inevitably will encounter the situation time and time again I fear in the near future that we see these kind of violations and we have to at a certain point wonder at which point is an NFT something that is acceptable at which point is it okay to do that and at which point is it not okay? Because your baseball card example makes it perfectly clear that you can't just take an image of someone and you can't just take a screenshot of someone. You alter it in some way and sell it on. That's just not that's just not how the world works. Even even take the um the you know the pornographic element out of that Alana Pierce example. Um, and as she says, that the picture that was used is copyrighted by her. It's trademarked. So this is something that you know she it would be as if, you know, you're going and taking like a physical object from their house almost <laughs> at that point, I think, and, and profiting on it or something, you know, something similar to that. So it's not, we joke a lot about how NFTs, well, why don't you just uh, right click and save the picture and then you have it, but that's funny, right? But then you get into these kinds of things where it's actually infringing on other people's lives a little bit. And that's where it starts to get kind of gross for me. Yeah, definitely. And here's a last point, a last last thought that I have on this matter. I'm not sure whether I'm entirely correct and please everyone out there, if I'm wrong then let me know. As far as I'm aware, copyright is not something that you need to specifically register or demand or enforce. Everything that you create that is yours, a picture that you take of yourself that is yours. These, this show that we create right here, this is ours, mm. this is our show, this is what we create. Taking things and just republishing them somewhere else without specific permission or without a you know, Creative Commons license and such things is always prohibited, even if something is not specifically trademarked. You can trademark things, yes, but copyright you always have on your own material. That's at least what my understanding is of the legal situation, at least in the United States, and uh, I just want to make sure that everyone is aware that, that if something like that happens to you, then you have legal grounds, definitely, to make sure that this doesn't happen anymore, that this doesn't stay up for sale. I I think that's, uh, I for, uh, first of all, I 100% agree. And I think that's right, because I, I know just from watching YouTubers and Twitch streamers that they'll, they'll talk about how... Um, 
it's kind of frowned upon in the community to do a copyright claim on a video if somebody is reacting to your content. It's it's looked down upon to say, I'm going to copyright that because I don't like what you're saying, right? But And I'm not, I'm not talking about that, but just pointing to the fact that they have the right to do that is to go in and say, well, you're using my content. Stop it. I'm going to do a copyright. They're not going to a lawyer and having that a proceeding begin. It's just something that you're entitled to because it's your, it's your creation. Yeah. And the thing is, if you want to do something like a reaction video, then there are specific things that you can do in order to prevent getting a copyright strike, um, which is you have to, for example, add some kind of substantial element to it. We can on our podcast also legitimately quote what other people do and write like that's what we do all the time in our in our side quests yeah yeah but we quote these things in order to add perspectives onto these things we just we wouldn't just sit here and read out an article that someone else has written right so exactly uh, yeah. that's that's an important distinction and i just want to make sure that everyone is aware that they have that they have this kind of copyright just by virtue of creating that kind of content you don't need to specifically trademark everything and with that Thank you, everyone out there, for listening. I hope you enjoyed this show. And if you did and want to support us, then you can get Studying Pixels Plus. You can go to studyingpixels.com and browse through our website. And of course, you can contact us at any given point on Studying Pixels. There. Excuse me. <laughs> it's been a long show. It's been a long show. I'm so sorry. Studyingpixels.com slash contact. <laughs> that is it. <laughs> okay, it's time for me to finally play on my freshly returned PS5. Actually, a new one. <laughs> brand new PS5. I get to peel off the, the outer layers. You know, the plastic thingy that's stuck oh, on Oh, the it? plastic. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's oh. sitting right there on my desk and I get to peel it off now and plug it in. And even setting it up, setting up such a device, I really enjoy it. I just sit down, take my time, go through every single menu item and tweak it just like I desire. Mmm, that's <laughs> perfect. I'm going to do that. And I hope everyone out there has a great day as well. See you next week, Dan. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, yeah, see you then. <laughs> Bye-bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.